So that's First Kings chapter 10, verse 23. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with King Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his, in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came bought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices, and horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he had kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew. The royal merchants purchased them from Kew. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the Arameans. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the uh, detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to, to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I'll most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. 1 Kings chapter 11, and uh, we're up to talk 5 in our Bible in 10 series, and today it's King Solomon Falls. So we'll have a think about that, and we should have some slides going at the same time. Let's just pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to think about the, the big picture of your word and the, the things you've revealed to us. And uh, we do pray that you would, as we, uh, as we consider your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever had a moment in life where you asked yourself, what went wrong? How did I get here? So far in our Bible in 10 series, we've been talking about how the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, fit together to tell one story. 
But have you ever put yourself in the shoes of the first readers of this passage and wondered what the stories meant for them all those many years ago? Imagine Israel using the law, the Bible, to figure out how to live as God's people in the land. And when these books we call Samuel and Kings were were put together, imagine them sitting down and, and listening to these stories and wondering how they got to where they were because they would have been in exile listening to these stories. They would have been in exile in Babylon, far from the land. And wondering, how did we get here? See, things looked good last week for Israel uh, in our passage, didn't they? But for the first readers of this story, they don't look so good anymore. It's most likely, as I said, that the original readers were in exile. And they're trying to figure out what went wrong and how to avoid it. And this overarching story, the story we've been following for the past few weeks... It has the answers, because the thing is, when it comes to disasters, there's always a chain of events leading up to them. There are points along the way where things go badly wrong. Would you just turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 11? It says, So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I'll most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. You see, this bit we read here in verse 11, it seems to be how they got into trouble, how they headed towards exile. It all began with Solomon's disobedience. And yet disasters are never quite that simple, are we? There's always a bit of a dominoes effect happening. Disasters happen, and when they happen, we ask, how did we get to this. This is just where Israel finds themselves as we read these words. They would have been trying to figure out how things turned out so badly for them, trying to uncollapse the dominoes to figure out what went wrong. So let's have a think about the Bible story so far and try and figure it out. As they looked back on the true story of God, the world and us, keen readers might pinpoint this moment with Solomon as the place things went wrong for them. The misdeeds of King Solomon, the moment when David's son did not live up to the promises we saw about him last week. Do you remember things were looking good last week? They were looking great. We had God's people in God's place under God's king, David. And we saw that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God would establish an eternal kingdom under God's chosen king, a son of David. So we're waiting for this king who's going to rule forever. But this week we learn it's not going to be Solomon. Solomon had started his career with so much promise When he flourished, it was like the Garden of Eden all over again. Just like Adam, Solomon too was even naming the animals. In chapter 4 of 1 Kings, Solomon is advising people of plant life and animals and birds and reptiles, like a great wise man ruling over the animals, just like Adam. He even builds the temple. God's place at the heart of God's land. 
a sign that God was ruling and that the people were blessed. And we even see in 1 Kings chapter 10, the nations pour into Israel to share in this great blessing. For example, the Queen of Sheba comes and she sees all of Solomon's wisdom and God's blessing on him and she's impressed with everything that's going on. And this foreign queen, uh, representative of, of the nations, praising God and what God was doing in Israel. And so we wonder as we read 1 Kings, is Solomon going to be the one? Is he going to be the forever king that was to come? And we see the answer is no. He is not the son of David that we've been looking for. In fact, he's a big reason that the things for these first readers go so bad. For these first readers, as they read these books, Samuel and Kings, there's been nothing but disappointment, especially in two kings. Nothing but disappointment coming from the line of David. See, one of the problems here is that in Deuteronomy, there were some very specific instructions of how Israel's king was meant to be an act. The king, according to Deuteronomy, was not to be a hoarder. He was not to acquire a great number of horses, especially from Egypt. They were not to go back to Egypt. They'd escaped. But Solomon accumulated 12,000 horses. And they'd even come from Egypt where he was told not to return. Also, he was not to accumulate large amounts of silver and gold, it says in Deuteronomy. Well, even the cutlery is gold for Solomon. And he had loads of silver too, but he was not meant to. Also, Deuteronomy says the king must not acquire many wives, especially wives from other nations, because they'll lead his heart away from God. Solomon, the text said, had 700 wives plus 300 de facto's. Now, that's a lot of wives. It's like the writer is trying to make a point, isn't he? This is exactly what the king was not meant to do. His heart was pulled away from God by the lure of sex and money and power. This is where the dominoes start falling, where things start to go wrong. Would you have a look with me at verse 2? Sorry, verse 1. 1 Kings 11 and verse 1. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. See, Solomon loves these foreign wives who come with their foreign gods and they turn his heart away from the one true God. He even ends up building idols and altars for these gods. We see that in verses 7 and 8, where it says, On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. It's shocking, isn't it? This is the king doing this. The leader of God's people. And unfortunately, where the king goes, Israel goes too. Solomon turns his back on God, and so God 
in the long term, during to the unfaithfulness of David's descendants, God turns his back as well on Israel and they're sent into exile in Babylon. What a disaster. What a disaster. You see, it's Genesis 3 all over again, isn't it? Not keeping God's commands. It's the fall all over again. And the results are the same. He's banished from God's garden, banished from the land, cast into exile. And as the uh, Israelites sat in exile reading these books, there should have been an aha moment for them, shouldn't there? In this passage, God promises to tear his kingdom away from Solomon. He's not the son of David that we've been waiting for. He's not the king that Israel needs. No, he's the king who leads Israel away from God. And where the king goes, Israel goes too. So we'll see more of that next week when we look at Israel being exiled from the land next week. But this here in 1 Kings, this story here is where the seeds of disaster for Israel were sown. But you know, Israel doesn't just go where the king goes. Their hearts aren't just pulled in that direction. Also, we see from these stories that we go where our parents have gone. As we look back down the chain in this story, we we see there's a bit more to it. We people go where our parents go. They sow seeds that shape our lives and our stories. And that's true for Solomon, the son of David. See, this sin in Solomon's life, he inherits this pattern from his dad. We know David's life wasn't rosy at all times. And so he sets Solomon on this path of ungodliness. Actually, Solomon isn't even the worst of David's kids. Uh, They are really messed up. One of David's sons rapes his sister. Another son kills that guy and then takes David's wives and concubines in order to shame David's name. David's son Absalom kills Amnon in the field and then hides. It's Cain and Abel all over again. And worse still, Amnon, the brother who was killed, he wasn't innocent. Uh, He was culpable too. He had sinned too. Uh, Because like Adam, he saw, he desired, he took. He took his sister, David's daughter. And this abuse was covered up uh, to avoid shaming the family name. You see, it's an ugly mess. And it's David's family. They're thinking, what went wrong? How did we get here. Remember last week we saw David at peace, resting in the land. What went wrong? David did. You see, he had rest from his enemies, but in the Bathsheba story, we learn that he rested when he should have been working. He starts shirking his duty. When he should have been out with his army, David remains in Jerusalem. And David repeats a pattern that by now should be familiar to us. But instead of the forbidden fruit like Adam or forbidden wealth like Achan, David grasps for a forbidden woman, Bathsheba, a woman who is not his. And just like Achan, who we saw last week, and Eve from a few weeks ago, David sins. Do you remember that story of David's sin with Bathsheba? 2 Samuel 11. 
Let me remind us, David isn't just resting now. He's lying around when he should have been out with his troops, fighting and leading. But he's all alone. He's lazing about and something, someone catches his eye. His eyes linger, just like Eve's eyes lingered on the fruit and Achan's eyes lingered on the gold and silver booty. Only this person now, uh, this is a person that it's lingering now. David sees this woman bathing and she's very beautiful and he desires her. And we're thinking as we read, no, don't do it. We know how this ends. But David does it and he claims a woman that's not his. This evil act from David and it's no wonder his sons end up messed up. He takes Bathsheba, she becomes pregnant and he can't cover this up. Bathsheba is actually married already to another victim of this crime, her husband Uriah the Hittite. And to cover up what he's done, David sends Uriah back into the battle with a letter ordering his own death. You see, the seed for Solomon's sin were planted by his father, David. And you know, the real problem at the heart of this disaster, the root problem at the heart of the universe, is sin itself. See, friend, in these lives here, we've seen this is sin in all its ugliness. Hearts turned away from God by the lure of sex, money and power. The world made unsafe for us. We can't be naked or vulnerable with each other like in the garden because we all live trying to pursue these things, even if it means taking advantage of others. It starts, it all starts even in the beginning of the story with the curse of the fall, the place where all disasters start. And so to change the world, to make the world safe, we need a new story. We need to know and hear a new story. The story of sin ends the same for us all, with separation from God and death. So we need a new story. We need a new king. We need a son of David who fulfills the promises to David. Solomon, for a while, he looks like the new Adam. But Jesus is truly the one. Jesus comes as the true wise king who understands how the world works. Jesus, who isn't worried about storing up earthly wealth and power for his own kingdom, but he's on about God's kingdom. Jesus, who brings true wisdom as the one greater than Solomon. Jesus, the king who didn't grasp, not for wives, not for wealth, not for power, He was shown all the splendour of the kingdoms of the world and offered power by the devil. The sort of offer that neither David or Solomon refused. Satan says to Jesus that if he'll just turn his heart from God and worship Satan, then he says to him, all these kingdoms I will give you. But Jesus will not be led astray. He's the king that the book of Deuteronomy hoped for. Where Solomon said yes, Jesus says no. Jesus is the king who listens to God's word and worships God alone. The son of David who obeys God's word. Solomon builds the temple which gets knocked down in the exile and another one rebuilt in its place. 
when Jesus is put on trial, his claim is that he is the temple builder. They accuse him in his trial of wanting to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. He's talking about himself, of course, as the presence of God. He was the temple of God. They say to him in his trial, tell us if you are God's temple building king. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the son of David, the son of God, the one who will end the exile and rewrite God's story. And Jesus responds with this grand claim that he is the son of David. He is the Messiah. He is the mighty one who will be coming on the clouds of heaven. And then he goes to the cross. As Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2, Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we look at the cross, we see Jesus not grasping, but giving, giving everything, not exploiting our nakedness and shame, not using his power to abuse us or to accumulate things for himself. No, here is Jesus on the cross with no horses, no gold, no symbols of worldly power, not even any clothes. There's no cover-up. There he is naked, vulnerable, taking on our shame. Here on the cross... Jesus, God's temple, is destroyed. And three days later, he is raised. As he said, he rebuilds the temple. He comes back to life. Rebuilt. Resurrected. Rebuilt after three days to restore access to God. Raised from the dead to be the answer to God's promises. The true ruling son of David. The one greater than Solomon. So friends, through the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ rewrites our stories. He brings blessing in the place of curse, paying the penalty, breaking the hold of sin. He brings us back into the blessing of being God's people, living in God's place, under God's rule, forever. In Jesus, friends, is an opportunity for us to change our stories, to unravel the way disasters grip us, not just to answer how did I get here in those moments, but also to show us the way out. Maybe you feel like the dominoes are already falling for you, that disaster is a story in your life. Maybe you feel like you're cursed, not just trapped in destructive behaviour, but a victim of it. Maybe you feel lost, which is what happens when we write our own story or set our own directions. We end up lost, separated from home. Maybe you're living in pain, not just asking how did I get here, but how do I get out? Friends, the story of the Bible tells us that we are here because left to set our own course in life, we end up grasping after the wrong stuff. You see, all the time we're faced with these moments, temptations to grasp, and we make the wrong choices, and we end up worshipping the wrong stuff. 
So friends, we deal with these temptations by knowing where we are going and who is taking us there. There's also directions to stop us getting lost. It's the Bible. The Bible. You see, as we prepare for these crunch times in our life, these times when we're tempted to take another path like Solomon, it's by submitting to the Bible that we're going to know the way to go. This is what Solomon should have done with Deuteronomy. It's what Jesus does when he was tempted. Jesus turns to God's word and to God's story. The Bible becomes our story as we take it on. Not just the story of how our world became a disaster, but the whole story, the story of the cross, the story of how we get back to God. It's our set of instructions. It's our map for life. We need that wisdom from God. So are we sowing the Bible into our life? The peak of Solomon's reign was when he asked for wisdom from God. In the Bible, we have God's wisdom that points us to salvation in Christ Jesus. We need to know this story and to be shaped by it so that we can use it to answer temptation together. Friend, remember, if you take a wrong turn, there's a way back. And it's not a cover-up, it's not hiding, it's turning back to God. If we take a wrong turn, the Bible tells us there is one who has made a way back. Jesus, temple builder, curse breaker, true king, the Lord. This is the story of Jesus, God's king, and the way to life with God forever through him. He goes ahead of us and he invites us to follow him, our king. And where the heart of God's king goes, God's people go. Let's pray.